may come as a shock to some of you, but my parents actually made mistakes when they were raising me. I think sometimes they didn't discipline me enough. Other times they disciplined me way too much. They didn't always say the right things to me at the right times. And, and I remember when I was young, Lisa and I were married and we had little kids. We thought, we're going to do everything just perfect. And you're going to be shocked to find out we didn't. And now that we have adult kids, they love letting us know all the mistakes we made, especially our oldest, Gracie, who's now 29. Is that right? Is that even possible? She loves to tell us about how she had to wear her mom's hand-me-downs to her first day of seventh grade when she went to her brand new junior high school. I don't even believe that, that we would do that. But we didn't have much money, so it's possible. But then she talks about her phone that she had when she was in junior high. Now, you have to understand, phones weren't that big back then. But we got her a Nokia, and now they call it a brick. It was about that big. And we allowed her to have 250 texts a month. I mean, that's a lot of texts, right? But we made sure she stayed to her 250 texts, which I think now kids probably text like 250,000 times a month. I don't know. And, and so she had her 250, and if she went over that, she had to pay us a dime for each text over because that's what we had to pay for our cell phone bill, right? It all made sense. But somehow in her mind, she likes to tell us, you know, all these mistakes we made. And I'm sure... All five of our kids have a long list of our mistakes. Uh, and, and just like we do, we can look back at our own childhood. We, some had good childhood, some had bad, but our parents make mistakes. But to me, being a parent and, and raising kids is like one of the most selfless, loving things you can do. And it's really, really difficult. But all the mistakes we make, really don't matter when you really love your kid. <laughs> See, I feel like love just takes all that away. My parents made mistakes, like I told you, but man, did they love me well. And when you love that well, when you love well, it kind of erases the mistakes. In fact, Peter even says that. This is a verse that I don't feel like we talk about enough, but it's in 1 Peter 4 8. Remember, Peter was like the disciple of Jesus. And this is what Peter says Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Just comprehend that. Read that. Love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers sin. And when I think back of raising our kids, I go, oh, thank you, God, for that, right? Because I did love them. At least, and I loved our kids well. And we, when we love, it's better than anything else. And I love this idea that love literally covers our mistakes. Now, the Bible itself is literally a, a story. It's, it's kind of a love story, a relationship, our relationship, God's relationship with his people, with his creation. And, and you start in the garden in this beautiful, perfect setting where you have Adam and Eve, his, his creation, and they walk and they talk in the garden and they, they have this beautiful relationship. And we all know the story, the fall comes and they get kicked out of the garden. And what happens after that as you read through, and whether it's the story of the Israelites or, or other nations, whatever, it's always basically people running from God. <laughs> they, they, they might 
come to him, they might believe, they might, but then it's always them turning away. And it's like this constant pursuit. We're just saying about it. That God is constantly pursuing mankind. And it's almost like mankind has his hand up going, no, we don't want to believe in you. We don't want to trust you. And that's this constant story of the Bible, which then brings us to the Christmas story. And it almost creates this unbelievable story, really. Like, you have this God who has been, no, we don't want you. We don't want you in our lives. We don't want to believe in you. We, we have all these excuses against God, and yet God loves his creation so much that he literally comes into it, dies for it, so that he can be re- reunited with his creation. I mean, it's, it's really almost an unbelievable story. It is the Christmas story. And, and John 1 has this beautiful picture of Christmas. And it doesn't even talk about Christmas. It uses different language. But this is what it says in first, or John 1, 9 through 12. It says, The one who is the true light, which is Jesus, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I I love that, that God comes into the very world he created, and we don't even recognize him. But we don't believe him. And it continues today, even 2,000 years later, and yet he came into the world and said, if you just simply believe in me, I will let you be my children again. He literally gives every one of us the right to be his children, children of God. He's basically saying, you are worthy to be my children, and yet we're not. We're not worthy because we've done all these things, and yet he still, even in our unworthiness, makes us worthy. And then in John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He made his dwelling among us. One of my favorite parts about the first couple chapters of Genesis is that God was, that he was with Adam and Eve. It says that he walked with them in the cool of the evening. Can, Can you think of anything better than living in a perfect garden that's organized and clean and there's wild animals and all these things and you're literally walking with the God that created it? I think that is amazing. And, and, and so you have that. That's, that's Adam and Eve walking with God. And, and as far as I can tell, as you go all the way through the Bible, God doesn't walk with anyone in that way on earth again until Jesus comes to earth. And it just says here that he made his dwelling among us. And in Matthew chapter 1, they call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so imagine God, the last time he walked on earth, was in the garden. It was perfect, and it was clean, and it was organized, and Adam and Eve were perfect, and everything was just right. And then thousands and thousands of years later, he enters earth into 
this darkness, into this time where things are dirty and people are grabbing for power and, and people are more concerned about themselves and yet he enters earth and he walks with us. And what's amazing about that, he does that so that in the future we get to walk with him. Back in the garden, back in, in heaven, back in the perfection. He wants that so badly. It's, it's this, God just loves us that much. And, and I believe when you look at this, that God was willing to do that. And he created Adam and Eve. He created us in his image. And, and in us, we have... We have this image of God, and so I believe that this love is interwoven into who we are as humans. In fact, at our very core, we, we want to love. At our very core, we want to be loved. Because love is literally interwoven into us. I, I did some pretty intense research this week. I googled something. And I, I googled love songs. And 3.2 billion results. I had to count all the zeros. You just type in love songs. And 3.2 billion results. It's really hard to scroll through 3.2 billion results. But then I thought, but what about books? And so I typed in books about love. 5.9 billion results. I mean, people really are writing songs about love. They're writing books about love. And so I took that research, which was pretty intense. It took all of two minutes. And then I got in my car and I drove over to Barnes & Noble, the very last known bookstore on earth. And I went in and I began to walk around. I started in the religion section and I'm just looking for books on love. I was going to buy one. I never did buy one, but I, I was so overwhelmed. In the religion section, obviously there's books on love. Not as many as I thought there would be, but there's books on love. And then I strayed out of the religion section and walked through the young adult section. Lots of books on love there. And then I got over into the self-help section. And I was overwhelmed. The self-help, self-transformation, fitness, and cookbooks had more love. How do cookbooks have love in it? They have love in the title of cookbooks. And, and so all these books are about love. And I'm, I'm, some of them I'd pick up that would kind of catch my attention and look through. And, and it kind of cemented in my mind that, yes, we all want to be loved. And really, not only do we want to be loved, but we want to love people. I, I started looking for books on hate. I was thinking, what's the opposite of love? Hate. It, there are books on hate. There really are. But here's the thing. When you open them up, it's the opposite. It, it's, it's about how hate has, has ruined our lives and we need to overcome this. And, and it's the opposite. You can't find books out there that tell you how to hate people properly. And they're just not there. Because why? Because we all want to love. And we all want to be loved. In fact, I would say the best moments in our lives are when we love and we are loved. When I was a kid, I, um, I don't know if it was in Sunday school 
or if it was in vacation Bible school, but I, I made this really cool um, stained glass window out of, you know, this paper. I don't even know what it's called. And, and on this stained glass window, it just says, God is love. And I was so proud of my artwork as a little kid, I brought it home and I hung it on my lamp. I had a lamp attached to the wall and it hung there as long as I can remember. I don't know when I moved out, my mom must have taken it down, but I just had this. And I don't know if I just forgot about it, but I saw it every night. God is love. And I don't know when I made it, I don't know how old I was, but it was always there. And, and so often I've thought about that little stained glass window that I made as a little kid with this idea that love defines God. God is love. Now, we can go down the list. As a theology major, I could tell you God is all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. We could, I could throw all these big words out there that really maybe mean nothing, but, but he is. God's all these things. But really, at the heart of it, God is love. Because the thing is, if God was just all-powerful, why in the world would he care about us? At the heart of who God is, is he is love. Love defines God. And the big question is, if God, we have his image in us, and it says as followers of Jesus, we've got the spirit of God living in us, so can love define us? Is that possible? It's Sometimes we would doubt it in the way we live. But Paul gives us a picture of love. And when you go to 1 Corinthians, we use it in weddings. We, we talk about it. But when you read through 1 Corinthians, basically it's Paul telling us how important love is. And this is how you can be defined by love. He begins with these words. He says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I could understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything... I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Uh, these are pretty powerful verses right here. I mean, what Paul is saying is you could be the best businessman in the world. You could own the biggest house in Carlsbad right on the water and drive the nicest cars. You could give money to the poor, but if you didn't love people, it wouldn't matter. You would have nothing. If you can't love, everything else is just that. It's just stuff. Love is the best thing. <laughs> and so then Paul says, if love defines you, this is what it's going to look like. And he lays these out in verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I've read this for so many times. I've, I've read it in weddings. I've, I, I've 
seen it. But this week I was thinking, how, how can we really break this down? And I thought, first of all, I think we need to look at what love is not. And, and Paul gives us that, gives us this right here. What love is not? And here's the list. It's not envious. It's not boastful or proud because there's no place in love for those things. It doesn't dishonor others. So you're not putting someone down. You're not bullying someone if you love them. It's not self-seeking. We don't love someone for ourselves. We don't love someone because how it reflects on us. It's not about us. If you love someone, you just simply love them, period. Love's not easily angered. Man, we get angry at people we love, don't we? And that's scary, but he says it's not easily angered. Now, it might get there at some point, but that's part of love. But we should be patient. (laughs) And then it says love keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. I'm just going to say most of us, it's not handwritten in our pocket, but it's somewhere in our mind. We know the people that have wronged us, don't we? And when we see someone and they've wronged us, man, the list comes out, doesn't it? With our spouses, with our kids, with our parents, with our co-workers, with whoever it is, man, that record, we've kept it, haven't we? And what he's saying is we need to tear that record up. (laughs) Because if you love someone, you don't keep a record of what they've done wrong. And it doesn't celebrate evil. And then what is love it's patient it's kind it's truthful it protects it trusts it hopes and it always perseveres in fact verse 8 says love never fails and you just think about that we don't give up on love when love is real it never ends It continues and continues. And even when someone does something wrong or runs away, love pursues. It perseveres. It never fails. And in verse 13, Paul summarizes this whole chapter on love. And he says, now these three remain. There's faith and there's hope and there's love. But the greatest of these is love. Now we're people of faith, right? I mean, we have to believe in God. We have to believe that Jesus was God's son. We're people of faith. That's pretty important. And we all need hope. And hope is like, we all cling to hope, right? But those things don't matter if we can't love. So love is the greatest thing. Nothing is more important than how we love. The best moments in our lives are when we love and we are loved. I think about Christmas, and it's so easy for me to go back to when I was a kid, because I didn't have to buy all the presents, I didn't have all the stress of Christmas, right? But I, I remember, and I don't even know, you know, what age I remember it at. I just remember as a kid, my best memories are coming home in the evening, it was dark outside, there was snow on the ground, which doesn't sound so nice now, but then I loved snow, and I loved winter time. and you'd walk through the snow, and you'd open up the front door, and it smelled like dinner. And then the, my parents, from the 
first day after Thanksgiving, they'd take their stack of Christmas records, which was about this big, and they would stack them on the record player, and they'd just play one after the other. And if you guys don't know, they'd just drop down after that, and they'd just keep playing one after the other. And I knew those songs, but I would walk into that house, and it was warm. Our Christmas tree was lit, and we even made a village under a Christmas tree. It was the coolest thing. And, and I walked into that and I loved that. I loved the fire. I loved the lights. I loved the Christmas music. I loved good food and cookies. <laughs> but you know, if my parents didn't love me, I wouldn't have good memories of that. If there wasn't love in the house, you can walk into Christmas music to fire, good smells. But there's still no love. You see, love is better than getting Christmas present on Christmas morning. Love is better than the perfect Christmas tree that we spend so much time to find. And some of you are going to disagree with me in this, but I think love is better than hot chocolate by the fire with Christmas music playing. Because without love, those things are nothing. Nothing's more important than love. So what about the real world, huh? How do we love? How do we really love? Can we really love the way that Jesus loved us? And you just stop, and, and I think there's layers or levels or whatever you want to call them, but there's so many people out there that we have different relationships with. There's strangers on the street. There's people driving by in cars. There's people at Costco that are very rude and get in your way, and there's way too many of them. And there's people that have different political views than us. There's people that have different beliefs than us. And then there's the acquaintances, the people you walk by when you're out in a walk, or they're, they're your neighbors next door, or they're co-workers. And then there's your friends. And then there's your spouse, your children, your family. The ones we call loved ones. How are we really supposed to love all these people? Well, what does that even look like in our lives, right? Can we really love a stranger? Can we really love someone at Costco? I mean, is that possible? I think Jesus literally tells us it is. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the idea of loving others, and he takes it to the extreme. My kids, whenever... I say something that they don't believe in. They always say, that's too far, Dad. Too far. And you read these verses from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and you can really say, Jesus, that's too far. Listen to what he says. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Did you hear what Jesus just did? He put murder and anger on the same level. You're not supposed to murder. Well, I'm telling you, you're not even supposed to be angry at people. Really? Uh, murder and anger? And then he goes on and he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone skips you or slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Hand over your coat as well. Uh, come on, Jesus. 
Don't resist an evil person that's going to slap you. Back off. Let him go. Then he goes on. He says, I've heard, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Remember, we're given the right to be children of God. And he said, if you're a child of God, wow, love your enemies? Uh, back off if someone wants to slap you and try to make peace? You see, God pursued us. And I think that's why this story seems so ridiculous to us. That God pursued us even when we were enemies of his. We refused to believe in him. We we held up our hand. We want nothing to do with you. And yet God kept pursuing us. We were jerks to him. We didn't care. (laughs) What did Jesus do when he was being beaten and hung on a cross? He said, Father, forgive them. (laughs) His One of his best friends denied even knowing him. What did Jesus do? He forgives him and loves him. You see, I believe that our relationship with God is the key to all of this. Our our relationship to God is the driving force in our ability to love people. The way we love God, the way we accept his love is how we can love other people. When we choose to accept the love of Jesus, it changes us. Remember first, or John chapter 1, he came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We are worthy to be children of God. We are. And so was every other person on earth. The God that created you said that you are worthy of his love. You have to say, why, God? (laughs) Because God is love. That's what defines God. And it's possible that it can define us, too. One of the most amazing parts of grown-up Jesus is he walks out of the garden and he's going to be arrested. And Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be hung on a cross the worst possible way that you can die. And when this group of soldiers come to arrest him, the religious leaders got a detachment of soldiers. There's 600 soldiers in a detachment of soldiers. And they come to arrest one man, Jesus, who's never done anything. And when they come to arrest him, they ask who they're looking for, and Jesus says, hey, you got him, it's me. And, and you can imagine the soldier that's coming up to arrest him. It, there's something about you've got a whole army, and you're coming up to arrest this guy. He's going to be the prisoner. And as he does that, Jesus' loyal friend Peter comes running out with a sword. Now there's 11 of them, okay, 12 with Jesus. There's, here they are. They're not going to fight 600 soldiers, but Peter's going to try. I don't know if Peter thought, this is it, I'm done. But he comes out with the sword, chops off the soldier's ear. There's theory that he was probably trying to chop off his head and missed, just got the ear. But it doesn't matter. If you're a soldier and you're arresting somebody and you get attacked by somebody else, what's going to happen? The whole play, they are going to be all over Peter. 
Peter should have been dead like that. But what happened in that moment is Jesus de-escalated the whole thing. Why? But with his power? No. <laughs> he simply said, Peter, back off. And he picks up the ear and he heals the soldier's ear. I mean, in this moment where he's being arrested for nothing, Jesus has this moment where violence is about to break out. What does he do? He responds with love to his enemy. And can you imagine, I, I was just thinking this week, if you're the soldier and you're arresting him and you get attacked by one of his followers, you're not going to be very happy. But all of a sudden, Jesus heals him. And Jesus has this love for this man that's about to arrest him. Can you imagine this soldier? I'm just going to guess all the anger that was in him was gone. And all of a sudden, he's got this man he's arresting. And he's trying to figure out what happened. How did it go from this to this? And it's amazing the power of love. It can take away hurt. It can take away anger. It can take away fear. Love is the most powerful thing. And we are loved by God. Period. Therefore, the most important thing that we can do is love. Period. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you pursue us. You don't give up on us. Because you want a relationship with us more than we do. You want to walk with us someday. And we praise you for that. We thank you for your son Jesus and Christmas time. And the joy and the hope, and the love, and the peace that comes with that. My prayer for us this week is that we would love. That your love would define us. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed, and I pray that you will love this week.